everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and I wanted to just let you know that it has definitely been uh, several weeks since I've put out an episode, and the reason for that is I've had the flu. So this uh, episode is, we are going to talk about the flu quite a bit, and later on at the end of the episode we've got a Good Nurse story. It's a it's not necessarily a good story, but it's uh, related to the flu, and it's a necessary message that we want to get out there. So just to let you know, that's the reason that I haven't put out an episode recently, and hopefully I can get back in the saddle. As you guys know, this is kind of a one-man <laughs> show, so, uh, <laughs> so you know, if, if I'm sick, it's there's kind of not a whole lot I can do about it, especially if I don't have a voice. So voice is so important when it comes to podcasting. This week I have, so that being said, I also didn't really have people lined up to do the show with me. I have lots of people who want to, but it, it's sort of involved to try to get that coordinated. And with me being sick, I just did not have the energy to do that. So I kind of last minute contacted my good friend, Christine with Antidotes Podcast. Hi, Christine. Hello. And she so <laughs> kindly agreed to jump in and do an episode with me real fast because she's an old hat and is able to just jump in and do everything. She knows what's going on, right, Christine? <laughs> yes, I definitely understand the one man, one woman show aspect of podcasting. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> so I guess we'll get started. We've got a little in the news story here. I know many of you have been sending me messages, emails on Instagram and Facebook and want us to talk about the story of the patient in the Hacienda nursing facility or facility I don't know what kind of facility it is but it's a kind of like what do you what you call it a Christine I think they called it an intermediate care facility so this is a place it's a long-term care facility for people that have neurological delay or like developmental delays or neurological injury so that they are unable to care for themselves but they require kind of a higher level of care than like a nursing home and they're not necessarily older, but they may have had like neurological injury, like anoxic brain injuries or traumatic brain injury. And they need maybe like ventilators and feeding tubes. And I believe that that is what this place is. And I say that because I did a rotation in a place like this that is much, much nicer and nothing like that happened at the place that I did a rotation in in grad school. So I'm kind of familiar with that. Yeah. It so it just you pretty much described. It sounds like this what, what this patient is kind of going through an anoxic brain injury. Sounds like she had a drowning incident when she was two. Probably did cut off oxygen to her brain and has left her in the state all this all these years. Yeah, and yeah. she's vulnerable in this facility. I know that I take care of a lot of patients actually on the progressive care unit where I work. We ha- we get lots of patients that come in from long term care facilities like that who maybe are car accidents, who've been in this state for decades, and they will, uh, you know, get pneumonia or UTI or something like that, and they'll have to come into the hospital. And a lot of times they're placed on our floor because they're on a ventilator and they can't just go on any floor. So I'm actually pretty familiar with patients like this. I see quite a lot of them. And it's very sad. And it makes me, I'm absolutely horrified that this poor woman was in this state and nobody was there to protect her from this horrible person that did this to her. Yeah, there are a lot of places like this that, I mean, I'm going to say this, 
there are places like this and they treat these patients so well and the staff love these patients and their rooms are beautiful and colorful and filled with artwork and the families have they have pictures on the walls and they're really nice places not like mm-hmm. this they're not treated like this this is this is absolutely unacceptable and this is not the norm and it's we always think it's really sad that people live like this but i viewed it having you know done a rotation there that if you have to have this terrible injury if this if these things have to occur you know at least there are these places that do exist that are going to care for your loved one yeah or if they don't have a family that you know the staff will care for them really well obviously where this situation happened that is not the case and it is absolutely horrific and i am so appalled and i actually i listened to the 911 call before we were recording and it was just as crazy i did too and you could you know i don't know that i said at the beginning because i i'm assuming everybody's kind of heard the story but for those of you who aren't familiar with what we're talking about this patient who's 29 years old and in the state that we just described was found to have have been impregnated somehow and she was at full term in at some point immediately just like something happened and the the staff went in there and said oh she's moaning and she just started having a baby she started giving birth yeah and i guess she was alert but nonverbal mm-hmm. and had limited mobility where she was a semi quadriplegic so she could move her legs and arms a little bit but not completely she was dependent in her ADLs her activities of daily living but she could make eye contact and move her head a little bit so she wasn't in a vegetative state as someone had had, the media had kind of misconstrued before but yeah all of a sudden she just started giving birth and the phone calls of the nurses were just like oh my god there's a baby and the baby's blue and they aren't prepared for that they're long-term probably neuro nurses they're very good at caring for these patients well i mean they're trained to care for those patients they're not trained to care for newborns but the one thing that i haven't seen in the news that i heard on that 911 call is that they were doing cpr on that baby and the nurse goes oh respiratory is here and those facilities because so many of those patients are on vents with trachs they always have a respiratory therapist there and Shout out to the respiratory therapists of the world and that respiratory therapist in particular because that respiratory therapist saved that baby's life. And oh my God, Mm -hmm. like they did CPR on a neonate, which would shake anyone, much less someone that's just not used to it. And I mean, respiratory therapists, (laughs) God bless you. They're wonderful. I know. They are definitely saviors for sure imagine the situation of just walking into this room and this patient that you know would have no way of having a relationship with someone or consenting to having sex just had a baby i mean how how could your brain even you know so the reaction of of the staff is amazing to me they just really did jump into action and did they did what they had to do and they saved the baby's life i'm just so impressed yeah and i read that the baby is now with the family of the patient yeah, being cared for, which is that child is a victim in this. Yeah. And now that family has to care for that patient and the, the new baby. It's. And we don't know, you know, that they said that the baby seems to be healthy, but you really don't know what long term effects could there could be because that patient 
was on a lot of medications. Sure. Phenobarbital, I was reading, was one of them. There were several different medications that could cause complications for a baby. Yeah. When you're in a facility like that, there's a lot of things that go along with having those neurological injuries. Like you can have contractures and you can have dystonia. And and so a lot of times barbiturates and opioids may or benzos are treated are used to treat those conditions because you don't think anyone's pregnant. You would never give those medications to someone that you think are, is pregnant. Right. You just, you wouldn't know. And I saw one of the comments on the articles was, how did they not notice? I mean, TLC or what, one of those networks has a show like pregnant and not knowing it. Yeah. So, I mean, women definitely give birth themselves and are not aware that they are pregnant. So it can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm sure her abdomen could have already been kind of swollen or distended. The patients, sometimes their abdomen can can get distended. They can get fluid and, and for different reasons, they can their belly can sort of be swollen. And you, they the staff just may not ever think about why that's going on. If she's having regular bowel movements and everything else seems to be okay, there's not a reason to be alarmed maybe about it. To think, oh, what's wrong? Why is her abdomen getting swollen? They would never think that she's pregnant. No one would ever think that in that situation. Yeah. So after that story, I think we have kind of three kind of negative stories. It's I feel bad now, but it'll be okay. We'll get through it. This next story is quite a doozy and has lots of twists and turns that I kind of had a hard time keeping straight when I was making my notes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I researched this like a week ago and I was like, okay, wow, I think I got it. And then we, because of your flu, we ended up delaying things. And now I'm like, oh gosh, it's quiz time. (laughs) Exactly. And um, trying to play catch up on that. Like, wait, what was, who was this person again? So I'm going to try to do this and just, we'll, we'll get through it together. This story is very (laughs) complicated and it's just crazy. Like, I don't know that I've ever heard anything like it, but it is the story of Teresa Sievers, who was a doctor in Florida who practiced, she was 46 years old. She practiced holistic medicine, whatever that means. I don't know. There's lots of different meanings for that, I think, but she sort of took her, she was a medical doctor, but she incorporated a lot of other things into her. And I didn't look in to see what all she believed in but I know that it was it was said that people came from all over the country to her when they had gone to other providers who were not able to help them so and she would she was on the front of magazines and she did talks and she was high energy outspoken and tiny tiny little redheaded spitfire of a woman and she was found dead in her home on June the 29th 2015 at 46. So, of course, the police are going, what in the world? This woman, this vibrant, outspoken, alive, full of life woman, who who did this to her? So she was married to Mark Seavers in 2003. He was a nurse, and she, but she was the primary breadwinner. She, her being a physician and having a practice, he managed the office and sort of helped take care of the kids um, at home. So he didn't really use his nursing license. No. And it was so I listened to the true the true crime garage episode on 
this case mm-hmm. and they played the 911 call that another physician who I believe was their neighbor or I'm not sure who this guy was a physician I and he was either friends with them or friends and their neighbor and the husband said oh Dr. Sievers <laughs> I'm sure he did not address his wife as Dr. Mm-hmm. Sievers although maybe he did <laughs> but <laughs> she didn't show up to work today the husband was still away on vacation mm-hmm you know, can you check on the house or something and gave him like a key code or whatever. And the doctor neighbor friend goes in, calls 911 and says, no, she's dead. And she's definitely dead. I'm a physician. And yeah. oh my God, this part of the the 911 call that, and it, I've worked in EMS, big fan of dispatchers. They do an incredible job, but this little part just irked me and it's not, it's not really anyone's fault, but the 911 dispatcher goes, oh, the, who's the husband? Oh, she's she was a receptionist in his in his office. And you can hear the physician neighbor go, no, he was the manager of her practice. She's a physician. Mm-hmm. And like he's totally like standing up for his friend who is also a physician and just like throwing shade at the dispatcher. And mm-hmm. again, no no hatred of dispatchers, but definitely like being a female provider, being an NP, like totally get it all the time of like, nope, people don't think you're the provider because you're a woman. And the dispatcher kind of just assumed that, oh, he's the man, you know, he owns the business, not her. Yes. So that like, that kind of ticked me off when I heard the 911 call. But of course, it's just our society. It was I just think a, it's changing. Something I noticed. I do think it's changing, but it's it's so slow to change. People are very slow to change in their perceptions and what their yeah. experiences are. If you have grown up from a child to where you are, ever you are as an adult, yeah. and your all of your experiences has has been that every provider that you ever see is a male, then your brain just wants to make all providers males. You know, you don't. Yeah. It's like you d- you don't do it on purpose necessarily, but your brain just wants to do that. And even when you you think about physicians versus nurse practitioners versus PAs, they're all providers, you know. And so even using the word doctor, sometimes I will I'll catch myself using the word doctor when it's it's I'm really say I really me I intend to say provider because it might it may have been a nurse practitioner. It may have been a PA. And to me, it's sort of like you 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 just assign the word doctor to anybody mm-hmm. that you go to that diagnoses you with something that's wrong with you. Yeah. And I'm a nurse and I'm bad about doing that. It's just <laughs> people are it's hard to people are slow to change when it comes to that well, sort of thing. Well, even I mean I feel like that was even just a little bit of foreshadowing into this mm, case yeah. of this super high-powered tenacious woman yeah. and her husband is working mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Mark Sievers, her husband, kind of got that all the time. Like, oh, you, your wife works for you? No, I work for her. I'm, I'm sure that came up. And mm-hmm. as we talk about the case, I mean, obviously, it's going to – we'll play it out. But it was just kind of an interesting little, like, huh. And uh, props to the to the doc friend for being like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and kind of setting, setting it straight and, and, and kind of like – um, you could hear the the respect for her in his voice that he de- yes. he was kind of demanding, you know. Yes. So yes. they did. They had planned a weekend. The fam, the whole family had been in New York, uh, which was where her family was from. 
And they all had been there for the weekend, the Mark and Teresa and their two little girls. And then Teresa came back early Sunday night because she had to work Monday. Mm-hmm. So Mark and the girls stayed in New York. Um, and so there's security footage of her arriving at the hospital. Um, and then the next morning, so you can see she made it, you know, to, to the oh, hospital. Yeah. Her, the hospital or her house? Or to the house. Ha- Why did I say hospital? I typed <laughs> hospital. I typed that in my notes instead of the airport. Um, no, there's not security footage of her arriving at the hospital. There's security footage of her arriving at the airport is what I should have typed. <laughs> I blame everything yeah. on the flu. Everything. So all my mistakes. <laughs> um, so then the next morning, the office... Flu-giveness. Gr- flu so thank you. <laughs> um, the next morning, the office staff was concerned when she didn't show up for work. Um, so they called Mark and he called that neighbor you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Said, go next door and check on her. And then when he called 911, and that 911 call is chilling. So she had, so Teresa had obviously been brutally killed. Uh, this was, this was obviously like uh, obvious from, like you said, from the physician who had seen her. There was no doubt in anybody's mind she had been murdered. Of course, the police immediately are going to suspect, guess who, the husband. Even though he's away at New York, you know, there's ways of getting things done. And so they start asking around to kind of see what kind of marriage the two had. And it seemed like Teresa was a little bit, she kind of lived up to the redheaded stereotype, you know, the hothead, the temper, little, uh, maybe kind of yelling at him a lot in front of people, that sort of thing. And so by accounts of several different family members, she would just do things like, Mark, get in here, you know, that sort of thing. And Mm. so then the police are starting to go, hmm, maybe he definitely, you know, he could definitely be a a suspect here. However, they all seem to agree that it didn't seem to bother him. They said that even according to Terry's sister, he seemed to worship the ground that she walked on. And when she yelled at him or Mark, get in here, um, you know, the medical receptionist or the medical assistant that, that worked in the practice there, she said, she would be like, go away and leave Sandra alone. You know, he would just act like it didn't bother him. He'd just be like, go on. And he never got ruffled about it. Um, so mm-hmm. everybody seemed to think that that seemed like a normal. The two of them had that way of working, you know, with each other. And and it wasn't an issue. Whereas other people might have said, you know, I'm not, I would not put up with somebody talking to me that way. It didn't seem to bother him. So... I mentioned the the medical assistant. So one of the staff members <laughs> was Sandra Hoskins. She was Teresa's medical assistant and had worked for her for many years. And then also Sandra's husband, Frank, worked there. It didn't say, did you ever hear what she, what Frank did? It just said he worked there. Yeah, I, I don't know what Frank did. But wasn't Frank fired? Yes, he was. He had been fired at one point about nine months before Teresa's death. So there was another kind of Sandra admitted that Teresa was not very nice to her as well. She yelled at her. She kind of treated her, you know, in sort of a demeaning way. And I mean, I guess I've, I've been treated that way before by people. I kind of can imagine how Teresa, it seemed like she may have come across in the workplace, someone who was, who had very high standards, who was a sort of a perfectionist. And if everything wasn't done exactly a certain way, it, you know, was very kind of in your face about it and would kind of make you feel, you know, maybe small or. I think we all know those doctors mm-hmm. 
that are very like very intense. Why was this not done my way? Yeah. I was listening to it. And I was like, oh, am I like that at work? <laughs> I think I could definitely be a little direct. Hopefully I'm not like that. But I was like, yeah, some, I mean, sometimes you can feel a little direct, but I, I definitely could see the personality that they were describing mm. as the very much an overachieving, wanting everything to be done exactly so kind of personality mm-hmm. that we often see in medicine, for better or worse. Now, there's no excuse to treat people poorly. And, and we don't know that she was actually doing that, that she may have just been a very assertive woman. Yes. And that is often construed in negative lights. It is. By people. So, you know, we're going to give the person that was murdered the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, exactly. This is just by the people that were around her, by their accounts and their experience of her. So Mark was very cooperative with authorities. He, He acted like he didn't have anything to hide. He offered his computer for them to go through his computer. He, he's, you know, whatever you need to do. He wanted to be cooperative. And so they had a memorial service for Teresa. Sandra, her medical assistant and her husband, Frank, went to the service. And apparently, according to Sandra and Frank, Mark and the rest of the family were acting very strangely toward them. They were hostile, angry. Even at one point when Mark went up to hug one, they went up to hug Mark or something and maybe like at, you know, like they're receiving a friend's kind of thing. And he just like, gripped gripped them like really tight it, it just he, hmm. they said it just seemed very aggressive and they were really confused by it they didn't really understand what was going on they noticed that he had a gun on him like kind of on his waist his family basically said that he was was scared because his wife had just been brutally murdered in their home and he wasn't sure if maybe whoever it was was going to come after him or his daughter so he was scared and defensive and and he had a gun on him you know for that reason also it's florida hmm. so like I don't know, like anyone that's listening internationally, it's Florida. (laughs) (laughs) That's common to like have a gun on you. Scary. All the time. (laughs) Scary. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's like like Texas, but with more alligators. (laughs) (laughs) So, like I said, the police are going to suspect the husband right away. However, the way that she was killed seemed to be such overkill that yeah you know it was so brutal and she was she was hit 17 times with a hammer and it it didn't really make sense to anyone that if he had hired a hitman to kill her that they would come and bludgeon her to death with a hammer 17 times you know that's not usually the style of of a hitman and it seemed like somebody was angry at her it just seems like there would be a lot more efficient ways of killing someone if if it was just for the sake of killing them right so also if the killer was there to rob the house like if they if maybe Teresa just came home and interrupted a robbery that was going on there was forty thousand dollars in cash that was at the house for some reason and also all of Mark's guns were there and they're worth a lot of money so somebody that was there to rob the house why would they not have taken the forty thousand dollars and the guns at the very least yeah so that didn't make a whole lot of sense to authorities either if if it were if they were they're just sort of looking at all the angles. The house had an alarm system which had not been activated. The police uh discovered that Mark's mother was taking care of their pets for that whole weekend. She would come in, feed the pets and deactivate the alarm and then feed the pets and then reactivate the alarm when she left. But the alarm had been deactivated, which you know, she could have deactivated when she got home, so 
but apparently the Mark's mom, when she came in that Sunday, Sunday at some point to feed the animals had some difficulty with the, with the alarm. She was trying to turn it off or trying to set it. And she was having a hard time with it. So she called Mark and told him, she, she said, I don't know what's going on. She had been using it all weekend and all of a sudden she was having problems with it. And he said, well, just leave it off. It's fine. And so, yeah, because Teresa was going to be coming home that night. He said, oh, well, no big deal. She'll be home in a few hours anyways. Yeah. Just leave the alarm off. Right. Lock the doors. Yes. And so all of this stuff seems to be kind of suspicious for poor Mark. You know, it's not looking good for him. Oh, well, you conveniently, you know, had your mother in law, had your mother leave the, the alarm off. But you can just imagine, you know, an older lady fidgeting around with the alarm system and not, you know, and just getting, and you just kind of getting frustrated with her and just going, look, just leave it off. It's fine. Right. You know, yeah. the last thing you want is for the alarm to get set off and then the police to be called out there and it's just a big problem. So he told her just to leave it off. Now, there is a conspiracy. I don't know if you heard about this or read about the con- the conspiracy about the physicians of alternative medicine being No, I did not. Okay. So, just as sort of a little a little aside, Teresa did practice holistic and alternative medicine, and people from all over the country would like I said would come when other doctors told them that there was no hope. So, there was this big conspiracy theory that was put out there by a lot of people who do blogs. The most accurate of sources. Yeah, it is. It's the best place to go for all of your healthcare needs. Yes. Um, Yeah. But apparently... It's packed with essential oils. It is packed with essential oils. (laughs) And amazing stuff that you can do with those essential oils. But they felt like, okay, so because these holistic doctors are challenging big big pharma, quote, big pharma, that in going against the establishment that these doctors are suspiciously coming up dead. And it's not necessarily murdered, Mm -hmm. but several of them had been murdered. Some of them died under suspicious circumstances. This was all looked at and investigated and completely debunked. And a lot of there's there's blogs out there that have whole lists of doctors who died under, quote, suspicious circumstances. But if you really look at it, a lot of them were like suicides or just out of natural causes or that sort of thing. And then people are going to die. You know, if if you wanted to, you could go out and just gather up all these names and, and put them in a list and say all of these people died and all of them you know, refer to themselves as holistic doctors. Therefore, Big Pharma must be killing them because... Or they died because they're choosing ineffective treatments for conditions mm-hmm. over evidence-based medicine. Right. That's, but that could definitely be, if especially be the, part of it. the ones that, that died of natural causes, you know, and some of them right. committed suicide because of financial reasons, you know. Which is horrific, and mm-hmm. I would not, that's it's terrible. Oh, absolutely. And it's not, you know, not in any way to shame them. That's, that, no. it's clearly they are dealing with, they were dealing with their own things. But for all of these people on the internet to then take all of those different tragedies and put them together and try to come up with this conspiracy theory conspiracy theory and they lumped Teresa in with that that somehow uh, big pharma was responsible for breaking into her home on a sunday evening and waiting for her to come and then bludgeoning her with a hammer it's just kind of crazy but that's that's that was floated around out there after this happened so the police were looking at everybody in this they were looking at patients they were looking at people that obviously worked with her her family friends clearly her husband and anybody that was connected with her, they were not leaving anybody out since, and especially because she did have sort of an abrasive personality. 
maybe sometimes ruffled some feathers. They just didn't count anyone out as far as being a suspect. One of the people that they really started focusing on was Sandra, her office assistant. Teresa's sister had told investigators that Sandra had kind of badmouthed Teresa to patients. So, mm. I mean, even if you don't like your boss and don't, you know, disagree with some things, or even if she, you feel like she's not treating you fairly, to have patients come in and then kind of call her names behind her back, I don't, I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, that's not real professional. Mm-mm. That's a, that's a bad relationship. Yeah. It sounded like a very stressful environment. Yeah. And it sounded like Sandra probably needed to have moved on a long time ago. Right. So Sandra doesn't deny that she felt mistreated by Teresa. And she actually claims that she planned to hand in her resignation that Monday that Teresa was found dead. So whether or not that's true, she claims that she really intended on handing in her resignation that Monday morning. So knowing now that Teresa's sister had been basically throwing suspicion onto Sandra, it makes sense that Mark and the rest of Teresa's family were so hostile toward her and her husband at the memorial service. So that's sort of, you know, the reason that they were treating them that way. So then they were focusing on not only Sandra, but Frank as well, because like you said earlier, he had been uh, fired nine months earlier. And Mark was the one that fired Frank. Teresa's husband, Mark, fired Frank. And so investigators were saying, well, was something going on between you and Teresa? They were sort of hinting, or not hinting, they flat out asked him, you know, were you having an affair with Teresa or had she made a pass at you? Because Teresa and Mark had an open marriage. Mm -hmm. That's true. They had an open marriage where they were kind of, and they had like text messages and that sort of thing where it sort of showed that they had, were kind of in relationships with other people openly. Yeah. But then Mark fires him and then the police are going, well, were you having an affair? And so... There was just all this suspicion surrounding Mark and then Sandra. And so they were really kind of breathing pretty heavily down their necks at this point. And it was a stressful office. (laughs) Does that not? There was a lot going on there. It sounds horrible. I mean, I cannot imagine. Now, he adamantly denied that anything like that had ever happened between the two of them. He said, no, we were definitely not having an affair. She had never made a pass at me, never made an advance at me. So he denied it. So now this case got national media attention, of course. Everybody was talking about it. Everyone wanted to know what happened to this, you know, beautiful doctor. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, police arrest two men from Missouri. And it just shocked everybody because everyone's look kind of honing in on, is it the husband? Is it the office worker? Is it? And right. These two random men from Missouri all of a sudden are arrested and, and the there's like a media frenzy. What? Who are these people? And then their pictures go up. <laughs> the pictures. <laughs> what in the a world? A picture is worth a thousand goatees. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is so creepy. I mean, oh, so gosh. these people, why is it that it seems like convicts middle names always Ray? Is it just me? So this guy's name is Jimmy Ray Rogers. <laughs> and the other guy is Wayne Wright. And Wayne Wright is the one that you're talking about that everybody was going, what? This guy looked exactly like Teresa's husband, Mark Sievers. Yes, they are. They look completely alike. And they have the exact same creepy middle-aged man goatee mm-hmm. that my ex used to have. And it is just so strange that they look alike. They're and both bald. They're both bald. And so they make up for it with the facial hair just on the chin. 
And <laughs> like, I think Wayne s- started to look like Mark. I I think that's what the report said. Mm-hmm. That like he tried to look like Mark as opposed to this kind of being coincidental. Yeah, because as it turns out, Wayne Wright is a longtime childhood friend of Mark Seavers, and they've known each other for at forever. Wayne was seen at their wedding. Mark was at Mark was Wayne's best man at his wedding, and Wayne actually would come down to Florida from Missouri and work on the computers there in Teresa's office. He knew everything about their computers. He set them up. He worked if there was any kind of problems. He did the he did IT for them. Yes, he basically was their IT person. And Sandra described them as uh, him as being, what was the word she used? Geeky and creepy. He was kind of like nerdy, geeky, and creepy. Mm. And she said that he had total control over everything. So even from Missouri, he was able to log into their computer system and do whatever he wanted to to their computers. Yeah, I mean, with IT, you can. And across the world, they can just Mm -hmm. share, like, screen share and change things. Yep, absolutely. Which is a... Big message for cybersecurity. Change your passwords, everybody. Don't go on public Wi-Fi. It's my public message. <laughs> That's your PSA. <laughs> my, my significant other works in cybersecurity. I've never been so paranoid in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so Wayne had been a person of interest in the disappearance of a man back in Missouri. So there was some story back from some point in his past. A man had gone missing and he was the last person known to, be, to have been seen with him. And mm-hmm. the the man has never been found, and it's suspected that he had something to do with his disappearance. So there's that. And then also he had served some time in jail because of drug possession. And then while in jail, he met Jimmy Rogers, who was the other person that had been arrested. So Jimmy Rogers was sort of known for bragging about his criminal history. He was one of these people who he was not ashamed that he was a criminal. He was proud of it. And he liked to boast and beat his chest about all of the things that he did. And most of the people, his coworkers and the people around him thought he was just sort of a bunch of hot air. He wasn't really, he didn't really do all the things that he said he did. They just figured it was just him just telling, you know, telling stories. Yeah. Telling tales. Right. And so he, he worked for a contracting company and his boss actually had texted him and asked him to work on that Monday that Teresa was found. And he texted him back and said, I can't, I'm still in Florida. <laughs> yeah, these two knuckleheads, as my dad would say, they told everyone like that they're going to Florida. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, we're back from Florida. And they're like, they're on this covert mission, but they're telling everybody everything. And they're not, they're terrible spots. They would be terrible. It really is like dumb and dumber traveling a thousand miles to commit murder. It's it's just ridiculous. Which is, which is crazy because Wayne Wright works in IT. Like he's not an idiot. Yeah, exactly. You would think that he would know, he, he would understand that, it, how easy it is to trace someone, especially when it comes to GPS. Yes. And they actually rented a car and put in the GPS, they typed in Benita Springs, Florida into the GPS there in Missouri, and then traveled all the way down to Benita Springs, Florida, and then did all the, you know, whatever they had to do down there, and then traveled back. So it's all, their entire trip 
was in that GPS in that rental car yeah. that Wayne rented. And they like put in a GPS to go to the Home Depot that was nearby or something, didn't they? Mm-hmm. To buy They did. They put the Wal- the the address for Walmart, Walmart so they went yep. to Walmart to buy the weapon and like yeah. the whole thing was traced. Yeah, so he Jimmy also told his girlfriend that he was going down to Florida because he quote was going to make some money. And so someone in Missouri tipped off the police that Wayne Wright had gone to Florida to make uh, on that that weekend that Teresa was killed. So it's got national news. So someone in Missouri is going, so this doctor is killed. I know that this guy who is sort of, like you said, a knucklehead had gone down to Florida that weekend and they're sort of putting two, to, two and two together. And then they send the police a tip. And that's what put the police, you know, they went there to investigate. And that's when they discovered the rental car that Wayne Wright had rented and saw the nice little trip all lined out for them on the GPS. They also noticed, the police noticed that the alarm system at the uh, Seaver's home showed that it had been disarmed at 6.09 in the morning, that Sunday morning. And so they talked to Mark's mother and they said, so did you come in at 6.09 in the morning, Sunday morning? And she said, no, I didn't go until later in the day. And so someone got there at 6.09 that morning and disarmed the security alarm. Yeah. And it shows that they got to, to their house and they were there for a little bit. And then they went to Walmart and, and then went to the beach on the GPS. They went to the beach and then it shows they went back to the house. And then hung out there for a while. But, you know, back to that security system, it sort of makes sense that Mark Seaver's mother was having problems disarming it. Because I bet what happened is all weekend long, she went in and she did exactly as she was told. She typed, she walked in, she walked over to the pad, she typed in the numbers, she went on about her business. This time, she walked in on that Sunday afternoon and the alarm wasn't set, but she probably didn't even realize that it wasn't set. So she walked in like she normally did, walked over to the keypad, started typing in the, the code. And what did it do? It probably armed it. Maybe, yeah. She was probably, or did, or at the very least did nothing. And she was going, what's going on? This is not acting like it normally does. And it probably was very confusing to her because it should have been set. And she thought she did something right. wrong. And that's, that would have caused her to call Mark and say, I don't know what's going on here. I'm trying to do this and it's not working. And he was just like, just leave it alone. Which also is part of the question the alarm was disarmed. So how was it disarmed? Mm-hmm. Was it either because Wayne had the code because Mark gave it to him? Or mm-hmm. Wayne is such good friends with Mark that he has always had the code to his house? Or right. or Wayne acquired the code maybe from emails that he got mm-hmm. from the computers at work? You know, oh, you got you are setting up the security system. I hacked your emails, or I can see your emails through your your computers remotely. I can see this, and I know what the code is, and I'm going to disarm it. Because you send emails back and forth with your wife going, oh, yep, let's change the code to the kids' birthdays mm. this month or something. You know, because I'm sure people do that. And um, he saw those. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's not necessarily, because, I mean, to me, that was a huge red flag. Like, how did he have the code? But you're right. There's several different ways that could have happened legitimately and they could have had the code and clearly mark thought he was his friend so maybe he trusted him with his code or like you said he could have gotten it easily if he had all that access free access to their computer system so then they they hang out for a while they did go to walmart when they went to walmart they're seen on security camera cameras two peas in a pod walking right into walmart buying garbage bags uh flushable wipes black rubber boots and black towels (laughs) 
the two of them. They are so smart, those two. And um, hung out at the house for a while before, uh, or hung out at the beach for a while before going back to the to the home. And then they waited for her to come home there. And they didn't buy any sunscreen. It's very irresponsible. Dummies. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're, yeah, they're not going to need it where they're going. <laughs> the um, <laughs> no light of day. <laughs> yeah, they don't get that much uh, outside time. I don't think where they're where they're going to be. And then investigators interview Jimmy Rogers' girlfriend. Okay, who then tells them that. Jimmy drove down the road after he had gotten back from Florida, had her sit in the drive, uh, the passenger seat and throw some things out the window while they're driving. There was a smashed cell phone that he had already smashed it. He had her throwing pieces of his cell phone out, some gloves and a jumpsuit. And the girlfriend said she threw, she was throwing this out. Would, they would go down a little farther, throw out some more. And they threw out all this stuff all the way down the highway. I don't care how much I love you. I am not littering for you. Much less, <laughs> like that is suspicious. Mm-hmm. It's so suspicious, and then I can't. I could not make myself throw something out my window. I would just be like, "How could you ask me to do that? Like, and, what are you up to? I want nothing to do with this." Right. If you are stooping so low that you are willing to litter, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. Yeah, it's horrible. This is not good. But. She says that she finally, obviously, there's something going on, and she demanded that he tell her what was going on. And he admitted that when he went to Florida, he went down there with Wayne, and they went down to kill Teresa, and that they killed her with a hammer. Now, Jimmy had a nickname that he sort of gave to himself (laughs) by all accounts from his friends and people from his past. They pretty much say... Well, we didn't necessarily call him this, but he called himself the hammer. <laughs> and he put it on like his Facebook profile. You know how you can have like a little nickname or something in like in parentheses? Yeah. Like it was his name and then in parentheses it says the hammer. So he sort of gave himself that nickname. So he admitted that they went down there and that, he, that they killed him, killed Teresa together. And that she says that Mark hired Wayne to do it. And then Wayne... Didn't want to do it by himself. So he hired, without Mark knowing about it, he hired Jimmy and sort of was like, hey, I'll give you part of my take if you'll help yeah. me do this. Wait, outsourcing it a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, investigators obviously are immediately going, obviously, Mark Sievers has to be involved in this. And they're thinking, you know, he did have the security code to the house. They knew just when the right time was for them to go there. But many of Mark's family and friends think that it's possible that... Wayne Wright could have known all of that and could have planned all of this without Mark knowing because he did have access to his computers. And so he could have known that they were planning a trip. He could have known that she was planning on coming back early, seeing that her, like you said, her emails. And then if they, if they saw her trip and what time she's going to be getting back. Sure. I mean, he definitely could have, but what's the motive? Like, why would he have Mm -hmm. wanted to drive all the way to Florida to kill his best friend's wife to... For what? Well, Mark Seaver's family, his mother and his sister, say that we talked about how much they look just alike. Apparently, they didn't always look that yeah. much alike. But as Mark started losing his hair and going bald and growing out the goatee and all of that stuff, Wayne started changing his look to match Mark's. And so he, they felt like he was obsessed with Mark. And that they didn't even realize how obsessed he was. He wanted to he wanted to get Teresa out of the way so that he could be closer to him because 
you know, he was so tied up in her, you know, with her life that he, he wanted her out of the way so that he could kind of have them all to himself, I guess, is, is, I guess, the only feasible theory that they can come up with, because in their mind, they just cannot fathom the Mark Seavers that they know doing something like well, this. And then there was the text messages between Mark and Wayne. And the, I guess Mark and Wayne had a secret burner cell phone. And then at certain mm-hmm. points, they would go, okay, do you want to talk on the other one? And mm-hmm. so either they would talk over the phone or they would text on the other phone. But there was something going on there that they were not talking on their regular cell phones for. Mm-hmm. So... That's suspicious. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, either they're having such a relationship that maybe there is an obsessive relationship that is romantic. I mean, there's nothing to really indicate that that would be romantic, but that's it's either romantic or you're planning to kill your wife. That Mm -hmm. seems to be the two most logical explanations. Um, Yeah, it's not a birthday party. You know, usually you can have that normal conversation on a cell phone, but so that's like the big thing to me of pointing in the direction that Mark knew what was going on because Mark would say, yeah. hey, let's have the conversation on the other phone. Yeah. Well, Wayne Wright did confess to killing Teresa in exchange for the death penalty being taken off the table. And he told police that Mark Sievers had hired him to kill his wife and that he had planned on he she he had four million dollars in life insurance policies on Teresa and he had planned on paying him once the life insurance policies had paid out. He was, he was, Wayne was expecting to get paid. And so since he was, he was facing the death penalty, he said he would confess if they would take the death penalty off the case, off the, the table. And he, he claims that Mark was paying him to do it. Now Mark's family of course says that he only did that because he wanted to save his life, that he just made that up. So and th- this is still this w- this happened in 2015. Yeah, there's and they they arrested him. They arrested Mark. They arrested the the two guys right away. And then a few months later, uh, I think in like January or February, they arrested Mark in 2016. It's now 2019, and they still have not gone to trial. Yeah, I was trying to find updates on the case, like right before this, and there's they're not in trial yet, and there's more evidence that they're sifting through and. I don't know what the holdup is, but it's just taking a really long mm-hmm. time for this to go to court. I know. It's crazy. So we'll keep an eye on this one, I guess. It's definitely an interesting one. It's very sad for Teresa. It's so sad for her little girls. Yeah. I hate that for them and her family. I wish them peace. And hopefully they can get, you know, get this closed out soon and um, at least go to trial, get it put behind them. No matter what happened. So, awkward transition time. Uh, it's what I'm t- going to start calling it because I have, always have a hard time transitioning from one story to the next. <laughs> <laughs> it's good nurse story time. And it's it's sort of, we're going to call it good nurse story because it's sort of like a message that we need to get out there about the flu. And it's, you know, I just suffered with the flu and it, it is hitting me really hard how bad this really is. I've been sick for two weeks and you can hear from my voice already because I've been talking for about an hour now. So my voice is like, okay, that's enough <laughs> <laughs> starting to go. But this, this story is so sad. So two physicians who lost their son, their four-year-old son to the flu last year, they want parents to understand how important it is to get the flu shot for your children. And these are, these are physicians. Yeah. One was a, one is a rheumatologist and the other one is a psychiatrist. 
And it's not that they weren't going to get the flu shot for their little boy. They actually were planning to get the flu shot like 10 days later, January 3rd. And then he he died before they could get it. He got sick with the flu. Before they knew it, he was so sick they took him to the hospital. He had pneumonia and all of these complications that are apparently exacerbated because of the flu. The The psychiatrist, the, the, the mom was sort of explaining a little bit that she had done some research after this and she didn't even understand all of the complications that come from influenza. Yeah, they're huge. The cardiac complications. I myself experienced this when I I had to go, I went to a walk-in clinic and they said, your heart rate's in the 140s. This is not normal. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know what's going on. That's definitely not normal for me. And so they did an EKG and it showed some SD changes, which for those of you who are not familiar with that, it just means that there's some ischemia. Somehow your heart's not getting enough oxygen, right, Christine? Yeah. So why? What's going on? It's just putting strain on my heart. The flu was putting strain on my heart. Yeah. Causing my heart rate, you know, rate to go to go up. Um, I was probably dehydrated, I'm sure. So it's this is not something to mess around with. Yeah. So they had tried to get their child vaccinated in, I believe, October at a pharmacy. But in Texas, children, I believe, under the age of six were not allowed to be vaccinated by pharmacists at the time. And so they said, okay, well, we'll just go to our pediatrician January 3rd. And then the child died in December from the flu. And so as a nurse practitioner, I talk about the flu vaccine all the time. And people will always say, oh, I don't want to get it too early because the flu shot's going to run out. Wait, that's not that's not true. So this is the spiel that I give all of my patients when I'm like, get your flu shot. The flu shot is a vaccine that covers four different strains of flu. Usually you have your quadrivalent vaccine. Usually it's one strain of influenza B and then three strains of influenza A that we think is going to be hitting the strongest this year. Now, sometimes that can be a little bit off the mark, especially like last year. And you'll hear on the news like, oh, the flu shot was only 30% effective or 18% effective. Now, that effectiveness number is how effective the vaccine is at preventing you from getting influenza, from contracting one of many strains of the virus that is circulating that year. Now, that being said, it is 100% at reducing the severity and duration of symptoms of influenza and reducing your risk of progression to things like pneumonia and reducing the risks of other more serious illnesses like heart attack, MI, you know, strain on your heart, and other things. So the, the flu shot is 100% effective at reducing those things, even if you do come down with the flu. So those effectiveness ratings that you hear on the news, you know, still get your flu shot because it's going to, it could save your life because it could keep you from getting pneumonia. You didn't get pneumonia, Tina, because you had your flu shot, correct? That's right. Yeah. And so the flu shot takes about two weeks for your immune system to utilize the vaccine and say, okay, now we know what it is. And people say, oh, well, I don't want to get a flu shot because it weakens my immune system. No, it's, you know, I was in the military. It's a safety brief. It's saying, hey, you are going to see this coming up. You don't want to mess with this. As soon as you see this, fight it off. It's it's a warning sign so your body knows what it is. And for little kids, anyone from 
six months and older should be getting a flu shot. And if you are between six months and eight years old, your first vaccination for the flu, you need two doses. So little kids should get your first shot and then six, I'm sorry, and then four weeks later, they get their second one to really get a full immunity. That first shot alone won't give them a full immunity to the influenza. And the little guys under the age of five, they're at the biggest risk for complications and death from the flu. So you really want to make sure that they're vaccinated and that everybody else in the family is vaccinated. And the flu vaccine, it lasts for longer than a year. So if you're getting vaccinated year after year, you're actually having a little bit more protection because your body's going to remember, although at weaker weaker strength, some of your vaccinations from the year before. So it, it does help you. And flu season in North America is approximately October through March. So because you need that two-week window to build up, uh, you know, your the antibodies to the flu vaccine, you should be getting your flu shot in around September. Whenever I've worked mm. in a facility, we would always start vaccinating in September. So that child getting his flu shot in January is way, way, way too late. And that's what these parents are trying to tell people get your child vaccinated to get them vaccinated early. And a big thing too is getting people vaccinated before they're going to be going on big trips, especially at the holidays where there's a lot of traveling. I always say if you're going to be going to an airport, (laughs) it is a petri dish of influenza because Mm. influenza spread through the air. And so you don't know who's around you that has the flu. Even if they don't look sick, you know, the flu, one of my biggest indicators when I'm diagnosing someone with flu is, do you feel like you got hit by a truck? all of a sudden and it's yep and you may not know it like a couple hours beforehand or a day beforehand you're spreading the flu virus so get vaccinated especially before you're gonna be taking a big trip or going somewhere where there's a lot of people college kids people that are working in areas that are higher risk where there's a lot of people anyways you really really want to be vaccinated it is not a live vaccine you are not going to be getting the flu from it it's a very safe vaccine. The CDC is pretty pretty baller in their recommendations of even if you have an egg allergy, they want you to be getting it, but you should be doing it like in an allergist's office. I think that's a bit extreme and I don't do it in my primary care office, but th- that's how serious the CDC is with their flu recommendations. So, well, apparently 180 children died last year of the flu. Yeah. And 80% of the 180 did not get a flu had not been vaccinated with yeah. the flu vaccine. Yeah. So that's so if you're if you're that parent and I would never shame a parent. I mean I I honestly I'm just gonna be honest with you. In December I waited way too late to get my flu flu shot this year. I did not get mine until Dece- middle of December. And I was even the at at the hospital, I'm really telling on myself now, but <laughs> I was even past my due date, my, my boss sent me a message and was like, Hey, did you get your flu shot? And I was like, Oh my goodness. I can't believe I let that happen. And so then I was like, boys, let's go. We're all getting our flu shots. And so I took my boys, my 14 year old and my 19 year old, and they were just kicking and screaming why I never get the flu. I actually, Joel, my 19 year old did get a, did get the flu last year. Um, and I reminded him how horrible that was, but I, I'm so thankful that I, grabbed them and took them with me and we went and got the flu shot in December 
when we did, because when I actually got the flu, they never got it. And they, both of them have, and I'm really ashamed of myself for this, but both of them have bad asthma problems. Levi, my 14 year old was in the hospital for three days with asthma two years ago. Oh, poor baby. So, I mean, they could not get his, you know, oxygen levels up. And he, all he had was just like a little upper respiratory infection. He just had a little, you know, cold or whatever. Yeah. And their, their respiratory uh, systems are very vulnerable. So I, it just hit me so hard after going through all of this, how important it really is to take that seriously. And early on, like you said, in September, everybody go, everybody get your flu shot and don't, you know, don't take it so lightly and just let time go by and think, oh, I need to go do that. And before you know it, you're right in the middle of the flu season. Right. And even if you are healthy and you're not immunocompromised and you don't have asthma and you're, I get this all the time. Oh, I don't need that. I, I can fight off the flu. I can, I can deal with it. I go, great. Do you love anyone under the age of five or do you love someone that's above 65 or do you just even care about strangers that are in that, that are immunocompromised Mm -hmm. or in that age group? Because the idea is not about you. This is about herd immunity. And if you're not contracting the flu, you're not spreading the flu. You're not spreading it to vulnerable populations that can die from the flu. Just yeah, what if you're the person who your little niece comes over to visit you and gets the flu from you? Right. That you didn't realize you had the flu. Maybe you just had some, you know, sniffles. And before you know it, it's the full-blown flu. Right. Because it happens then, so quickly. Yeah. Then she later on, a little bit later, ends up with the flu and and ends up dying from the flu. And or, you know that if you had gotten the flu shot, you never would have passed it to her to begin with. Yeah. And even if they don't die, I mean, if they're just really that sick, you'd feel terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would when I was, you know, this fall, my medical assistant would go in and say, oh, they don't want a flu shot. And then I would come out of the visit and like, yep, they're getting their flu shot. And, <laughs> and <laughs> I could be very convincing because that's my job. And one patient said to my medical assistant, well, there was a little bit of light shaming in there. And so <laughs> I got my, I agreed to do it. And, you know, and, and it's not to shame people, but it's, it's really about education because mm-hmm. this is really, really important. And I I don't know why it's this thing with the flu shot that people are like, no, I don't want to do it. It's look, it's not about you. <laughs> I mean, it's about you. Of course, it's about you, but it's a, it's about everybody else. It's about these poor parents that lost their child because they contracted the flu. And if we have better herd immunity, we are all as a community and as a country and as a world helping people, you know, that can't get these vaccines too. So it's, it's not, it's not hard. Just get your flu shot early on. I think I got mine at the end of August, (laughs) mostly because I was at my doctor's office and they're like, we're here. Do you want to get it? And I was like, sure. Shoot me up, bro. It's important. It's important. Well, that was our good nurse story. And we wanted to do that to try to get the word out about how important that is, how you don't get the flu from the flu shot. No. What are some of the myths? uh, Yeah. Uh, Some of the myths are you get the flu flu from the flu shot. Don't. Nope. Nope. Um, nope. Oh, I, I hear this a lot. Well, the only time I ever got sick was after getting the flu shot. Mm -hmm. Okay. So because it takes two weeks to work, you may still you still have that window of you can still get the flu after having had the vaccine. So that just means your body hasn't developed the antibodies yet and you are still have that immune system that doesn't recognize it. Or 
there's a lot of other viruses out there. There's rhinovirus, adenovirus, there's all these other things that are not necessarily influenza. So the flu shot, unfortunately, does not protect you from really nasty colds and viral sinusitis and all these other things. So you can still get those. And I'm sorry, that's just bad luck. And it's so funny because when I had patients that had the flu last year, I could tell who had the flu shot and who didn't before Mm. I even looked in their chart. Because the patients that didn't have the flu shot, they, they looked like they got run over by a truck. You mean they were pale, they were sweaty, they could barely get dressed. I mean, and they were like hobbling into my office going, I don't know what happened. And I go... Oh, from the doorway, you I can see you have the flu. The mm. other people that got the flu shot, they were like, this is like the worst cold I've ever had. I feel really bad, but like I'm dressed, I'm wearing jeans, like I brushed my hair, like I kind of have a fever, like I don't feel good, but like I don't know if this is the flu because I don't feel like it's as bad as I feel like I should be. And it's like, no, you're you're positive with the flu, but you had the vaccine. So you can definitely tell. And as a clinician, I can tell. But mm-hmm. it the people that didn't get the flu shot, I mean, it was lasting weeks and, you know, a month or so of symptoms and just the fatigue. And that, that's the big difference, too. You know, just even if you're not dying, because people are like, oh, you're being dramatic. <laughs> yeah. It's but a I'm not rough... being dramatic. People die from this. No, they do. That's what the, that's the reason I wanted to tell this story. Um, yeah. This poor family these two physicians. Um, and it's shocking that they're physicians, you know, because you would think that they would know, but at the same time, you know, a rheumatologist and a psychiatrist may not be up on the latest research on those things, you know, because they have their specialty, you know, as opposed to like a primary care provider who sees pe- flu patients all the time and is up on the latest research about the flu shot and about just like what the doctor was saying, that the latest research is showing all of the complications that can come from it. So, and she just didn't realize it. So she wants to get that message out. And that's why I wanted to do to tell the story. It sort of goes along with what I've been going through for the past two weeks. And I wanted to try to get that message out there. I know it's important to you too, Christine. I hear yeah. you talking about it a lot. So yeah, all about those vaccines. <laughs> I think I talked about a vaccine the last time I was on here too. So I know. Well, oh, yeah, we did. talk. We talked about um, Gardasil. Gardasil. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, they're important, aren't they? <laughs> um. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on and tell our listeners where they can find you. I am at Antidote Stories in Medicine podcast. So Antidote Stories in Medicine on Facebook, Antidotes Podcast on Instagram, Antidotes Pod on Twitter. Christine, the NP, is my regular Twitter, but mostly the the, the podcast stuff. And then on all the other podcasting sites you can listen to my podcast where I tell heart-wrenching stories that for some reason people think is a comedy podcast is not a comedy podcast (laughs) well you're so funny um that even though it's serious stuff it it's still kind of your your humor and personalities you know kind of trickles in there so that's probably why it's they're very entertaining and I know that you guys will, will love them a lot of my listeners listen to to your podcast I was just at work the other day and uh one of my coworkers had her phone on and I saw I saw her um and I saw antidotes on oh, there on her, and I was like oh she's listening to Christine's podcast yeah there's <laughs> so, a lot of crossover so what's up my <laughs> listeners yay <laughs> 
Well, and of course, you guys know you can find me on Facebook. It's a Good Nurse, Bad Nurse podcast on Facebook. It's GNBN Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, GNBN Podcast. And definitely send me messages. I love it when you guys send me messages and let me know how encouraged you are and how um, entertained you are, how you like to listen on your way to work. It makes me feel so good. I appreciate it so much. And it makes me feel like there's a purpose for doing this and makes me want to keep doing it. So please continue to do that. I really appreciate it. And I want you to also remember that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, you're a good nurse. Thank you for